Hello, welcome yep. to another episode of I Love Rock and Roll. I'm your host, Ken Cran. I'm one of your hosts. And Ken I'm Cr- Chip Chantry. <laughs> I, fu- I fucked The ownership off the bat. <laughs> this is fucking mine. All right. Let's just get that out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, we have a guest this week. Chip, you want to introduce our guest? Uh, sure. Uh, very funny comedian based in Philadelphia uh, has uh, a number of very funny album comedy albums out. You can check out uh, and uh, he tours all over uh, and uh, used to be my roommate. Uh, the very funny Mr. Pat House is with us today. Hello. 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 What's going on, Pat? What's going on? Thank you for uh, having me. This is awesome. Th- I didn't thanks know. for uh, thanks for coming on. I love rock and roll with uh, Viper and the Fox. No, oh, yeah. Uh, we're Good to be here on the Eagle 1039 Erie. Coming yeah. at you. <laughs> I love rock and roll with Viper and the Fox. Coming that at was, you. Uh, we, we, we were named that uh, last week. Be, uh, between myself and Johnny Good Times, I think we gave that. that I gave Ken the name Viper and Johnny gave me the name the Fox. So we were like, we have to take all, over those personas from now on. Okay, yeah. Do I have to address you as such? Yeah, so Ken <laughs> yes, is but... Viper. I am uh, the Fox from now on. All right. I am not going to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. I had no idea you guys were roommates. Yeah, yeah, we did a short stint together. Um it was definitely the summer into the fall of one year. Whatever year Kent Haynes yeah. had to leave. I want to say it was like 2010. My so my, my roommate Kent moved out. Uh he actually I had a great situation that like looking back, especially in COVID times, yeah, he did. I, I lived in a one bedroom apartment. With my wife uh, now, we have a one-bedroom apartment. So we basically have two rooms and two cats and a dog and the two of us. Back in 2010, I lived all – speaking of Live 8, actually, uh, uh, right off of the stage of Live 8 uh, off the uh, parkway in a two-bedroom apartment, a beautiful two-bedroom, two-bath apartment that my we moved in in July. My roommate moved in with his fiance in like September but just kept paying rent. So I had a two bedroom apartment to myself in the city, like perfect area. And then when he moved out, like out of town, he asked if I had and we spent about, I think, about four months, probably. Uh, yeah, four or five. Yeah. And it was great. Uh, yeah. Everything was walkable. And yep. the day I moved out, I had to borrow my stepdad's truck for one night and everything got stolen out of it. And its windows were smashed on the uh, one that I had to borrow it. And then Under- did, you, did you lose a mattress on the way out, too? I did. The same day. As if that wasn't bad enough, having shit stolen out of his truck and the window smashed, I had to put a mattress in the bed of his GMC truck and right in front of the Philly airport on 95 South, I watched this mattress go airborne <laughs> in slow motion out my back window. It was oh. all the same day. Just when you think like shit can't get worse, it fucking did. Oh <laughs> and, but it was so bad. I like laughed and cried and then I just kept laughing. I was like, I felt I paid for all his went like I, I paid for it all. It was so bad. And I felt so terrible. 95 South. I'm in the right lane and I see the uh, mattress fluttering and I'm like, Oh God, no. And it was, it, it was in there pretty tight. It got behind the, um, like towards the back of the truck. It got behind the, um, Oh, not, not rubber bands. What's the word I'm thinking of? The bungee um, cords, bungee cords. And it slowly started like fishtail under, and it just went <laughs> airborne. And I can still see the visual as clear as day in my mind. 
I feel like that wasn't even the only mattress laying in the highway in Philly. It was there for quite some time because oh, I, I was I was going to the city almost every day and I would look at it on the side of the road like it was the I 100% know where it was. I had it marked like a mile marker location. It was there for quite some time. <laughs> he could tell it was his with like all the urine stains and everything. He's mm-hmm. like, there it is. And the, shame and the, the rubber the open, sheets were still on it. The open mics that were just all over it. Do you know, I, I wet my bed. Like I had to use rubber sheets up until I was like eight or nine. And um, like one day my brothers all got together and had a meeting and decided that my nickname should be the Midnight Sailor. <laughs> like they had a meeting, like they like they came to me and were like, hey, we all got together and this is your new name. Are you the youngest? I'm the youngest. Of how many? I'm the youngest. I have I have a I have a biological brother and sister. I have four stepbrothers and a stepsister. So technically I'm like the youngest of eight. Oh wow. Yeah. And did were all eight a part of this or just who was a part of the It was the uh name? no, it was I so I had I had there was five living in the house with my mom and stepdad, and then right around the corner my dad lived with my stepmom and three others. So this was like the 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 I had a I had three brothers living at my house and they're they're the ones that got together and decided. Wow. Which which didn't add to my trauma whatsoever. No, I mean, you know, <laughs> probably extended my bedwetting. Did it stop then? Did the fear and the embarrassment just like make your it's, bladder? It still hasn't stopped. Oh wow! As you take a giant sip of water, <laughs> I don't know why. So, all right, let's get into uh, let's get into let's, this. Yeah, absolutely. Topic. This was um, this was another story. This is why I love doing this podcast because this was another. This was like Millie Vanilli, where I thought I knew the whole story and then started getting into it and and was blown away by how crazy it is. So we're we're talking about Live Aid this week. Um, yeah, it's a day I've had, you know, and okay, maybe we'll talk about all of this, but I don't have too much of the back backstory knowledge. Um, I, I want to jump ahead of the facts there, but you guys might know more of the backstory, but I know so much of like the music and stuff that happened that day. So I don't know what angles we're working with here, but we can put it all together. If that makes sense. Right. So, so just a real quick backstory. You have uh, Bob Geldof of, uh, first of all, of Pink Floyd's The Wall fame. And, uh, you know, he was a member of the, the Boomtown Rats and, you know, lead singer of the Boomtown Rats, who by the late mid 80s were sort of kind of dwindling in their popularity that he was kind of trying to figure out uh, who he was. Uh, he was kind of known as sort of an asshole and just kind yes. of. Uh, a curmudgeon and nobody really liked him and he's kind of obnoxious um but and he becomes sort of almost more obnoxious because he's trying to figure out his place he's he's dating a woman who becomes more popular than he is and he's he's just like he doesn't know what he's going to do next the the band is kind of you know not doing much and it was in the fall of 84 i believe he was just in a bad mood one night and he was at home with his wife and his i think daughter and they were watching uh, the news and a story comes on about Ethiopia and the famine in Ethiopia and how like all these people are dying, all these children are dying. And he's kind of blown away by it. And he's like, what am I, what am I complaining about? You know, like we got to do something. So that's when him 
and Midge Yore from the band Ultravox decide to get together and create this song. Do they know it's Christmas and formed Band-Aid and kind of, you know, roped in all of these British acts to sing in uh, in Band-Aid for Do They Know It's Christmas? You know, it hits the charts. It raises a bunch of money for, you know, for Ethiopia. And then, uh, you know, just just kind of gets that conversation started. Right. And then um, and then America takes the cue. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and really what, what happened was um, th- I think it was that same Christmas. Right. Like right after it was released, uh, Boy George and Culture Club were doing a bunch of shows at Wembley Arena and like on the night of their sixth show, a bunch of acts, I think Geldof came out and I, I, I should know who it is, but like a bunch of like famous British acts came out on stage and I think sang, do they know it's Christmas? You know, kind of did a medley. And that kind of gave boy George the idea of like, we should do a big concert. And apparently Geldof already kind of had that idea, but that really got the wheels in motion. But yeah. So then kind of based on that, uh, the U S took over and, uh, they put out we are the world and you know recorded we are the world raised a bunch of money again as as a one-upper correct almost like almost there was a uh, I numbers was watching wise this. i think it was oh like, yeah i mean i think that yes. we are we're the world sold yeah it's worldwide. sold yeah yeah because and, america i believe was being america and wanted to one up what they were doing over there yeah and i i think ken and i watched the same documentary about about Live Aid and like the whole thing, it was like this, it was definitely, there was definitely a divide between the UK and the US for this whole thing. Like just the direction they went, they went and there was definitely some tensions between the two, the two groups throughout the whole, the, you know, history of the event. I like the, so the documentary Chip's referring to is called uh, Against All Odds. It's like a three hour documentary on YouTube. And what I like is, and of course, Ken, that's based on the uh, "Against All Odds" uh, song by Sting from yes. the Police. Yeah, that's exactly what it's based on. Yeah, um, uh, I love in the early footage, like Bob Geldof was getting mad every time somebody would eat food. Like, yeah, they like they. <laughs> <laughs> they had footage because he was mad. He was like, what about the starving kids in Ethiopia? I don't know why I'm making them sound like Bono. And, but but that's the funny thing, too, because I, Irish. Think, I think he was brought over for when they recorded uh, We Are the World. Yes. So they brought him over. Yeah, for it like, you know, oh, he, he, yeah he was the he guy. Did. We should bring him in for ours. Yeah. So they're in Hollywood recording this and then they kind of sent out an APB to like restaurants and caterers and stuff like that. Be like, look, all these stars are going to be here recording the song for charity. Would you donate some free food, you know, for all of these stars and the engineers and everything. And it was the most lavish spread of like caviar and lobster. And like, cause everybody's trying to put out their, you know, promote for their best for we are the so world. It was yeah. the biggest buffet of just great and gluttony <laughs> and was. yelled off just walking around all like scraggly being like fuck this this is ridiculous yeah i mean they're literally they're singing a song about starvation and then they're eating like fucking kings which by the way it's like what are you you gonna get mad at them for eating like they're they're all doing this at, you know for charitable reasons but Right. I, I don't know that I would have allowed cameras like, like the, nobody seemed to be self-aware enough to be like, maybe we shouldn't take pictures of this. You know, spread. Yeah, don't let that guy in this room. Yeah. yeah. The guy with yeah. the camera cannot come in here. Exactly. Yeah. They should have treated it like a bachelor party, like no cameras allowed. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I so 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 then um, so you know Geldof has that. So it's it's obviously in the consciousness now. People are starting to talk about it. Governments are even starting to talk about it. And then Geldof decides he's like, we got to do this this show, and he wants it. You know, kind of all over the world, you, you know, just did the, this worldwide, he was calling it a global jukebox to raise money for, for the famine in Ethiopia. So it was basically, they, they had like three months lead time. Like it was three months. So Live Aid happened on July 13th, 1985. So this goes back to like, maybe like April-ish is like when they really started to try to get this show going. And it's kind of amazing that they pulled it off in that amount of time. It's insane. Like I was after you find out after you find out what went into pulling it off. So there were simultaneous concerts, correct? Yes. In in the UK and London, and then a bunch of like little pop up ones in different yeah, uh, countries. Soviet Union, Canada, Japan, Yugoslavia, Austria, Australia, and West Germany. Like and, uh, among others, like had these smaller concerts besides the two besides two big ones. Like what bands did they have? Like when you have people traveling from all over the world to go to the UK and Philadelphia, yeah. who was performing in, what did you say, like Slovenia or something? Right. You like, it's got to be amazing. It's got to be amazing. Well, one of my favorite things was they actually, so they apparently, because this is the height of the Cold War and, you know, there's nuclear meltdown going to happen at any point, nuclear war. So they decided to let a feed from the Soviet Union from Moscow. There, there was a band, it was an autograph was the band, I think maybe nice. that was going to play and like so they like with the two big you know with Wembley Stadium in London and JFK in, in Philly and they uh they sent it over to Moscow and the feed got messed up so for the first two minutes you could hear the band play but it was just footage of people picking cherries and just like just it was literally people cherry picking and because like the feed got the, the video feed got screwed that sounds up. Sounds like so, all of Russian television. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know Bob Just, Geldof was probably pissed. Like, what are they eating cherries for? Yeah, exactly. There's kids starving in Africa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did your parents used to say that to you? Like, um, like finish. I, I would not ever want to finish my dinner. And my mom would always be like, there's kids starving. And I'm like, so what do you like mail it to them? Like, what? What? Like, yeah. am I going to finish this pasta and some kid in Ethiopia is suddenly going to be like, oh, I'm full. Uh, my, my mom would say to me, she's like, if you don't finish your pot roast, uh, you're going to grow up to be a podcaster. <laughs> Should have listened to me. Yeah, uh, I used to uh, say, well, my this didn't happen often, but my mom would say, like, there are starving kids in China or whatever. And I'd be like, there are starving kids in Chester. It's a lot closer. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what is the fact that China has to do with anything? They even showed my 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 favorite part in the documentary, like the early moment, like they showed them at some it was some like award thing and they had, or, or it was some fundraiser and they'd been talking about the starving, you know, the, the, the famine. And um, you see Bob Geldof is there talking with uh, Midge or the dude from Ultravox, who also, by the way, this was also his brainchild. Like they did it together. Yeah. And Bob Geldof's the only one that gets any of the glory. All the credit. Yeah. He, and he, he Midge seems like I don't know Ultravox well, but he seemed like a pretty quiet dude who, who was sort of yeah. happy to sit back and not take the credit. But then yeah. history just sort of forgot him but there's footage of the two of them sitting there standing there at some fundraiser listening to all of this famine talk 
and Bob's got a like a mini hot dog in his hand. You know, like the people had just come around with the with the hors d'oeuvres and you see him turn to Midge and he's like, oh, you know, this really makes you think, right? Like, I kind of feel bad now, even like eating this. And then he just kind of stood there awkwardly. Like, what are you going to, and then he like just popped it into his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I actually didn't see this documentary for you guys that both mentioned. I have not seen it, but it's on YouTube. You can check it out. It's, it, it was really good. Yeah. So, All right. yeah, so well, I mean, I'll definitely, I will so absolutely check it out, but I've just known about this day, like my entire life and had this weird fascination with it. So I probably should have watched a documentary, but between yeah. enough like magazines and like, you know, the Spotify playlist and shit I've read in books over the years, I put together like my own. Uh, and, and Pat, I'm assuming you were kind of young for this. If you were even uh, like, this is right. You no, know, I, I was probably exactly, um, hold on. John I was eight months old. Okay. Yeah. So but I was my like, dad watched it holding me and he videotaped it. He I think he probably still has the VHS tapes. My parents did the same thing, too. I don't know if they still have the tapes, but for years we had like a couple of tapes of Live Aid. And I was I had just turned seven, I guess. So I was seven years old. I remember waking up at my buddy Damon's house. We had a sleepover for his birthday because I think his birthday is on July 13th. And Wayne's? yes. Uh, yeah. Of uh, Wayne's right. brother's fame. Yeah. Right. And uh, so uh, we woke up. It. And it was like a big deal. I remember like waking up and then like running home and like my mom was like already watching it. She was just like, like all excited. And then we went to my aunt's house for like this big, my big recollection is like everybody was talking about it. It was like this huge thing. And I remember it was happening in Philly, which was such a cool thing, you know, to happen in Philly. And we were in Conshohocken at my aunt Midge's house, speaking of Midge's. And Ah, I was going to say, yeah, I remember uh, all of my, uh, um, uh, all of my like mom's cousins like came running into the room like they were all outside partying and they came running in when Zeppelin played and they were so excited to watch Zeppelin. And like I had no concept of really who Led Zeppelin was at the time, but like they were just like, it's the first time they're playing in years. And they were so excited. In and then to find years. out. Yeah. In, in, and then to find out years later that it was uh, one of the shittiest performances of all time. Oh, it was terrible. They had tech issues and um you know, they they had and you can watch it on YouTube. They had tech issues to start, and also like uh, I I was going to mention Phil Collins at some point because he did both and everything. But um, Robert Plant reached out to Phil Collins and was like, "Hey, do you want to join me and um, Jimmy Page doing some stuff?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure." But Led Zeppelin, like the name Led Zeppelin, was never mentioned. And then they said, "Oh, John's joining us," and Phil Collins is like, "Fuck, I'm going to be with Led Zeppelin," and. They didn't rehearse. It was it became it was embarrassing for a reason. Like nobody told Phil what he was getting into. Yeah, they didn't rehearse. And it was a complete absolute nightmare. And then tech issues on top. But Phil got like thrown under the bus with that by Robert Plant. Now, yeah. by, uh, it was by Jimmy. Pay- it was Robert Plant wanted him. See, he, he did. A, he did a lot of drumming on like Robert Plant's solo shit. They already had a drummer. Um yeah there were two drummers it yeah, was, was um tony Nick, or tom tony, something yeah um, yeah yeah it was like tony something and um it was him and phil collins and like pat said there was there was no rehearsal time uh and they just kind of went out there and winged it and it, if you watch it on youtube it's terrible like it's by so all bad it's, it's it's horrible Ooh, 
for years. It wasn't even on the um like Led Zeppelin's legal team um were adamant about it not being on the DVD and it wasn't. That's how bad it was. They, they did not want it a part when the official DVD whatever came out early 2000s, it was not a part of that. Yeah. And that was it's, because it's, Led Zeppelin requested it that it wasn't. Yeah, it's not even on um like the Live Aid official YouTube channel. Yeah. But it is on YouTube. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You can still I see it. I watched him. it this morning again. <laughs> it's so bad. And Robert Plant is like, how you guys doing? And the crowd cheers. How you guys doing? All right, louder. And it's like three more times. And then somebody even says, like, hold on, I, I can't hear myself. <laughs> like, it's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not their fault. But essentially, this is their first show back in five years since John Bonham passed. And it's just a shit show from the start. Um, so yeah, so, but, uh, to like, to lead up to the day, um, I mean, this was such like a huge, just from a technical standpoint, uh, they had, I think it was like 13 satellites in the air and this is like kind of the dawn of satellite technology. Like, is this actually going to be pulled off? Like, can they get the, the places booked? Can they have a simultaneous concert? Can this happen? Can people uh, from around the world watch it? Um, the, like a lot, everybody told Geld off there like he, he can't do this like he can't pull it off and and he he did it and even to get the the axe was such a huge difficulty because you know looking back on it now if you're like do you want to be part of live aid like anybody would want to be a part of it i mean it'd be amazing but then to convince the the people you know like all the you know you know queen to get queen back together i mean first of all who weren't really together that much at the time uh elton john you know sting uh, you two like all these big bands um he he basically lied to all of them like he played them against each other like he would tell like bowie that that mccartney had already signed on and he told mccartney that bowie's playing like just like stuff like that just to wheel and deal to try to get people to sign up because people were worried like because basically like they were like you have to do this you only get 20 minutes there's going to be no sound check and you're not getting paid and you have to pay for this all yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to pay your own way. Yeah. And, and by, Oh, and, like and, all of, like all of our careers. Exactly. <laughs> right. Except we don't get seen by a billion people ever. Yeah. So really uh, like almost in a moment of desperation, a couple of like, this is literally weeks before the concert. Um, they held a press conference and Geldof was there and he basically just announced all of the acts like, you know, Duran Duran, the who uh, Zeppelin, they weren't even the, together. The, like the some who, of these weren't, the who weren't even talking to it. Like R Roger yeah. Daltrey and Pete Townsend hated each other. Yeah. And he just Bob Geldof just went out there was like, oh, and the who's going to reunite. And he just he was like he just started naming all the popular bands of the day. Yeah, like, he actually said Phil Collins and then Phil was like, what? So he was one of the ones who just got named without full confirmation. Well, they, yeah, yeah. They, they said, well, it's funny in the documentary as he's reading the as he's reading the list in this press conference of who's going to perform. They run a they run a graphic underneath that tells you like wasn't confirmed, wasn't confirmed, wasn't even asked. You know, he yeah. was like Huey Lewis and the News is going to be there. And then it shows like they never even called to ask Huey Lewis and the News. So he was just up there just making shit up. Yeah. And one of the issues that they had with <laughs> some of these people uh, was that like they were like, well, OK, Geldof is kind of a jerk. Like, is this money really going to where it's supposed to go? So Huey Lewis and the News were one of the acts that did pull out or said they weren't going to do it because they didn't trust that 
the money was actually going to go to aid. Yes. And Springsteen, I believe was in that same same boat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He was was, on four as as well. So I was wondering how they didn't, how he wasn't in that. Yeah. They said a lot of people were asked and declined. Michael Jackson had no interest. Yeah. Um, Cindy Lauper. Oh yeah. And I, yeah, was asked and and declined. Yeah. And then there, and then there was a thing where they got, blasted like the uk side especially that um it was mainly all white acts you know so that was that was a big thing that they're you know they're talking about africa they're talking about aid but like they're not including any black voices and so they 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 ended up kind of like you know adding some acts but like they they were definitely uh uh criticized criticized for that as well and then um uh, but then they also but they had trouble getting people in in the U.S. as well. Like the whole thing was just like even up until like a couple of days before, like McCartney wasn't sure. McCartney hadn't performed live since John Lennon, Lennon was killed. Yeah. Like he hadn't been on stage since John Lennon. Had killed. I mean, that's a huge get, uh, you know, you know, for him. So. Um, oh, wow. Uh, I didn't know that part because because, yeah. OK, so. It was, Lennon was killed in 80, 85. Okay, so yes. Wings was mostly this. Okay, the 70s. Yeah, okay. So he hadn't, he hadn't done anything. So it was like five or six years since he'd been on stage. Um, and then, uh, but then like once, it, it was kind of like that effect where it's like once people started it, then the snowball happened they, and like then everybody wanted to be a part of it. it and then it became a thing. It, um, was, it was Dire Straits that got the ball rolling. Yeah. So yeah. So Dire Straits was a Dire Straits was huge in '85, and they were asked, and it just so happened they were doing a run of shows at Wembley Arena. So when they got asked, you know, just a couple months before, and saw that it was literally, I, I don't know how far Wembley Stadium is from the arena, but uh, I'm guessing they're they're pretty close to each other. So once they saw that. Um, they they said they they if they could get a spot that would give them enough time to get across town or whatever and and make their show that night then they would do it so i think they were the first band that officially signed yeah and then and which how like disappointed would you be if you're like a big dire straits fan i guess that's cool like dire i love dire straits but like you buy tickets to a Dire Straits show, <laughs> right. and you're like, "I'm going to see Dire Straits," and then the biggest concert in world history is happening right across town that you're not going to be a part of because you're going to see Dire right. Straits. It's like, oh, I could have seen Dire Straits. I could see Dire Straits, or I could see Dire Straits and everybody, everybody else. Yeah, like that time I did the Harrisburg. Um, no, I did Stitches in Lancaster, and Bill Cosby was across the street. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. happened my first week there. He was at the Great American Theater. Yeah. And we had nobody that weekend because uh, Bill Cosby was across the street. <laughs> this was before, you know, before what, Pat? Um, so B- uh, BBC yeah. before Bill Cosby, before Bill Cosby. <laughs> um, so then they were like looking into the te- technicality of like, could we do some like, you know, so uh, Phil Collins, apparently it wasn't Phil Collins idea. He thought a bunch of people were going to fly, do the Concord thing and like, yes, play both they, stages. They told him he, he didn't want to be the only person to do it. It ended up he was basically the only person that did it. But um, the one thing that they were going to try to do, Bowie and Jagger were going to do a duet and on separate stages. Yes. Oh, that was going to be the grand finale. That was oh, okay. the grand finale. But they were going to do it where Jagger was going to be in Philly and Bowie was going to be in 
the UK, London, and they were going to sing a song together. And then they realized they couldn't do that. Like it probably wouldn't work. And then they were literally apparently like uh, <laughs> this is my that favorite. one, du- the one dude literally called NASA to see if they could do it from a space shuttle yeah. to get like if they could get up on a space shuttle yes. and, and, and perform together. together. That's my yeah. favorite thing. It's like they were like, what if? Jagger sings half his song in Philly and Bowie sings half his in London. And they were like, well, the tech, I don't think the technology is quite there yet. So then somebody was like, well, what if we just blast him in the space and let him do a song? (laughs) (laughs) Done and done. (laughs) Well, that's gotta be way easier. They tried to get Phil Collins. He took the Concord from London to Philadelphia, obviously, and they couldn't even get him to air properly on MTV. Like yeah. they tried to do like a on the plane interview and it, it didn't. Oh, and it was out. terrible. Oh, it was great. It was great. You you listen to the feed of it. And it's just it's, it's all just, it's, it's just all a jet everything. engine. So uh, what Bowie and Jagger actually did leading up to it though, they actually that's when they recorded that because it's the dumbest video and it's I think it's on purpose and just like so slapped together. They recorded dancing in the streets. Oh, and then terrible. recorded that video. And they donated all all that. They went the song went to number one though, and they donated all the money to Live Aid to the cause. For, for that are awful, awful song. It is, it's, Correct me. It's, I oh. loved it. When I was a kid, when that song came out, I had it on a 45 and I played the shit out of that song because the Stones yeah. were my favorite band. They, Stones are my favorite band. Bowie's always been like my number one artist. Yeah. So for me, that was, you know, looking back, it's it was a little embarrassing. Okay. I'm almost positive that video is what gave Freddie Mercury AIDS. Yeah, well, I was going to say, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, according to pop-up video, I believe uh, Jagger and Bowie were caught in bed together on that set. I could be wrong about that, but I also think that's something I read when I was like 10 or 11, and it like never left me. So I kind of think I'm right. Pop-up video is ne- has never been wrong. Yeah, exactly. Pop-up yeah. video wouldn't lie to us. They also yeah. told us that Allentown has a big gay population. Is, oh. it, is that what it said? Is that it did for the, for the Billy Joel you remember video? Remember that Joel. video? Yeah. yeah. I even um, remember as a little kid watching that video and being like, why Why are all these steel workers topless? Banging each other. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so things in, in the UK were like sh- kind of shaping up. Uh, but they were having a lot of trouble with the U.S. And a big problem with that was uh, Bill Graham, the big concert promoter. Yep. And who just comes off like the biggest asshole in, in the world and was like, wasn't it, like, first of all, he didn't want this thing to happen. He was convincing artists not to do it, telling them that it was going to be a disaster. Like he 
Paul McCartney actually dropped out because Bill Graham was being such an asshole for a while. And, you know, then he he obviously resigned. But um, uh, he he was he was someone who like even the day of was just like an asshole. Like he was the concert guy, but didn't want to help with the TV end of it at all. And was just like basically like the day of like took people's uh he producers like, and camera people like took their credentials away so they couldn't get up on stage. They literally had to call the police and call lawyers in the day of to like let the the cameraman like film. Like he was just like he was just uh, like uh, all along the way was just a complete. It was asshole. yeah. It was just to just one thing on what you said. It was it was Paul Simon who dropped out. Paul, was it Paul Simon, Paul Simon okay. was Paul supposed Simon, okay. to be, which ironically. Probably would have been. I'm. I'm guessing that's when Graceland was out. Ironically, yeah, Paul right Simon there, yeah. probably would have been the only one with African performers in his band. Right. Yeah. That would have been yeah. like your only taste of Africa. And Paul Simon called Bob Geldof and was like, "Look, I'm. This isn't like a rock star trip. But Bill Graham's just such a fucking asshole. I can't deal with him." And, yeah. And he pulled out. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, so let's let's talk about like you know the day of. Like the logistics of getting, I think there was 58 different acts that performed. Um, and it's not like a regular concert where it's like, all right, you can take an extra 10 minutes to set up the stage because we'll get the next one. It's like, this is televised. It's supposed to be to a certain extent in, you know, in sync with the two different stages across the ocean. So like, it couldn't just be like, all right, well, the you're going to push back 20 minutes. Like every rock star had to stick to their time. And like, there could be no you know, extra time for anything. So what they decided to do was build a revolving stage that I think had like three, I think it was divided into three parts with three separate stages. So you would revolve this stage, you know, so the one band would play and then they would set up the other two and then, you know, take the other one and, and so on. And like, even the day of the stage was barely working. Like they, somehow they pulled it off, but it was like so heavy that logistically it was, it was like impossible to do. And they were really worried that it wasn't going to get pulled off, but so, somehow, somehow they did it. I didn't know that there was, was there definitely three? Cause that, I mean, I didn't know that because I know what's like 94 had like the two, but I yeah. mean, if, if it had three, that's cool. I didn't know that. Was this part of the documentary that I should have seen? Was this on the documentary? I yeah. They were rem- talking about it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I don't remember seeing that part, but, um, Wait, about the revolving but, stage, remember? Like where, where it like it was basically like on a turnstile. Right. Yeah. And, so one band's yeah. performing and the other shit is getting set up behind them. So then it yeah. just fucking flips around. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Woodstock 94 had the same thing. That's the first time I remember seeing that. Situation. But I mean, it, it only makes sense that that uh, Live Aid had that, too. Right. Because it was I mean, they were before you had 20 minute increments. They were fucking bang, bang, bang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like it was just I mean, it was really thrown together. And like these big bands are like really nervous because like it's this huge opportunity. First of all, like the whole world's going to see them. I mean, I think all in all, one point nine billion people around the world saw it. So like basically two billion people. I think it was at one point it was 40 percent of the world's population was watching 40 percent of the world. I mean, yeah. And something like 95 percent of people that owned a TV were watching it. Yeah. It's just like everybody was on. So then people were nervous because it was like, this might be our big chance. You two, for example, weren't household names. They were becoming big and they had this thing. They literally at 2 a.m. the night before Geldof gets a call that you two was pulling out because they didn't get they weren't going to have a sound check. So they were worried that they were going to sound like shit in front of the world. This was their big chance. They're going to blow it. So they literally were going to pull out the night before. And, uh, you know, of course, they didn't. But, uh, you know, it was just. 
just the undertaking was was incredible like for and speaking of the stones um you uh, two threw snippets of Ruby Tuesday and sympathy for the devil mm-hmm. into bed. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Lou, and Reed. Lou Reed. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I came away watching like when you when you see what these guys pulled off in two countries simultaneously, like now you would just be like, oh, we'll just do it. We'll just do it via satellite. And, you know, everybody on the planet could watch like back then it was literally nobody had ever attempted this before. How do we even attempt to do this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. They said they said that the biggest satellite uh, tell the biggest use of satellites and television had come from the 84 Summer Olympics. And that used two satellites and was simulcast a simulcast in a few countries. This had, I think, you said like sixteen or seventeen satellites. It was, yeah, it was, it was broadcast all over the world. Yeah. So it, it had and, never, it had literally never been done. So when I I came away angry at Fire Festival, I was like, how could they not have pulled it off? Right. Right. But like, like they're yeah, they're they're not telecasting anything. Fire Festival, like like Live Aid would have been jealous of their food. Then they just have like sandwiches, <laughs> like Bob Geldof, they like pe- peanut butter sandwiches. Bob yeah. Geldof wouldn't let the. Uh, he was like, no food can be served. Yeah, or no cameras around while it's being served. Yeah. So, the the day of knowledge is fascinating to me. So you're telling me things as we're going along. Yeah. So uh, it opens up. So basically, uh, technically, I think it was the Coldstream guards, which are like these like, you know, royal guards or whatever. They opened the day uh, by doing like I think it was like a brass version or whatever. They did like God Save the Queen and like mm-hmm. something like that. They come out. And that's also uh, 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 Princess Diana and, and Prince Charles were there in attendance. They stayed for like the first like hour or so of it, but like they came in. So they were part of it and they kind of, they met all of the, all the stars backstage. So it's like a lot of that too, was like trying to get like governments to like become a part of this and, you know, you know become uh, aware of what's going on in Africa. And uh, so the official opening act was a uh, status quo, which was like, they were kind of like a throwback band, I guess. I, I didn't really know them too well, but uh, they opened, uh, they opened with the song uh, rock and roll all over the world, which rock is kind and of all like, over the you know, world. They, um, they, I don't know much about them either, but they were one of those bands that had broken up and Bob Geldof just announced them that they were yeah. going to get back together for Live Aid. And that was when they like they found out the same time and then they were skeptical. They hadn't played in a while. And then the lead singer, Status Quo, had a funny quote where it was something like, um, quote, <laughs> he had a status quote. Um he said he said to Bob Geldof like, "Hey, we haven't played in years, and and we, we just rehearsed, and we sound terrible." And instead of Bob Geldof being like, "Nah, you guys are great. You got to do it," you know, like something like you know, as as a performer, you just want that little bit of like, "No, no, you're great." 
And Bob Geldof was like, ah, who cares what you sound like? You're doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Such an He's like, no old fart. Yeah. <laughs> I know. He was like, no, you guys are terrible, but I'd like you to do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Please just be there <laughs> is what that comes down to. So I guess you, you just want to hit hit on some of like the highlights, like some of the the best and worst of the. Uh, yeah. Of so this this is what this is what struck me as like when, when you had like. And you got to remember, this is back in the 80s when these people were just fucking huge. Yeah. On fire. Yeah. So but you had at one point to end the UK show, you had um, you would you two in what essentially becomes their big breakout moment. You have you two into dire straits who were as big as you could have been in, in 85 into queen, which is the legendary performance that everybody remembers. And then David Bowie and then the who have reformed, you know, the, 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 he, he's gotten them on speaking terms. And then Elton John with, uh, with wham, George, George, yeah, well, that's a, that, that that dude that that other dude in Wham gets so little respect. Like it's all uh, yeah. it's it's always just like Elton John with oh, what's his name? George Michael, Andrew Ridgely, Andrew Ridgely. Oh, uh, Andrew. I was gonna say Anthony. I was on the right path. Okay. Yeah. See how little respect he gets. Fucking guy who, who with a mattress on the highway can't get his name right. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> And, those, uh, do go, those situations do go hand in hand. And that was the first live performance of uh, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me with Elton John and yeah. George Michael together. That was the first live performance of that. Which was credited as a George Michael single, right? Because he yeah. covered it and then Elton joined him, I believe. It, it was Elton's set and then George Michael and Andrew Ridgely came out with him. Oh, okay. And, and they did it together. Um. And then, so after Elton John, then Freddie Mercury and Brian May came back out and and did a song together. And yeah. then it ends with Paul McCartney, and he's joined by uh, Bowie, Bob Geldof, and Pete Townsend. Like that is just an insane fucking run to to end a concert. And then when you think about like six weeks earlier, none of these bands had even committed to doing it. Yeah. That I didn't realize, I guess, just how quickly it was thrown together. I knew it wasn't a large time frame, but I didn't realize it was like weeks out. Yeah, it yeah, was it's I, un unreal how fast yeah, it's like Chip said from the moment it was announced, it was a three month turnaround. And when it was announced, literally nothing was in place. Uh, they were they were fighting with. uh networks networks didn't even want to air it and they certainly didn't want to air the entire concert oh yeah cbs and nbc declined i believe yeah abc was the only ones who did it and and that was another thing too where was like, it only on abc it was ABC, on M I think mtv ABC all, the, mtv 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 had yeah, yeah too but like they they were going to show like a two it was going to be like a two hour concert that they were going to show like on tv like it was just going to be well we'll, we'll kind of put the highlights together whatever it'd be the two hour thing and he's like no it should be the whole 12. I mean, I think the whole thing was 16 hours in all from right. when it started in the UK to when it ended in, in the, in the U S but uh, yeah, I mean, it, just in hindsight, it's so funny in hindsight, how like people wanted nothing to do with it. And then it became, becomes the biggest concert in, in history, which is a lot of careers for, I guess, comedians and musicians as well. I yeah. mean, 
Queen was laughed at for Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. That's portrayed in the movie, but I mean, that's what really happened. And people pass over the Beatles, you know, and yep. then yeah, there, there you go. So it's the same thing just for an event and not a, a, a band or a comic or a group. Yeah. My favorite thing was I, they were interviewing some guy in the documentary. I forget who, but he was saying how it was the seminal moment of the 20th century. He yeah. goes, he was like, forget the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, forget Hitler, forget. <laughs> I was like, wait, stop, forget Hitler? Yes. Like, live, like. Live Aid was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was a great concert, but why do we have to forget Hitler? Do you guys know why uh, it's alleged that Queen had the best set that day? Why? No. Because they were the only band that had just done stadiums. So Freddie knew how to command a thousand people. And like U2 and Dire Straits went on before them. U2 wasn't famous yet. Dire Straits were huge, but didn't have the front man that Freddie does. So when Queen got out there, Freddie knew how to command 80,000 people. And they were on their fucking feet immediately. It's pretty awesome. Yes. Like they were the only band. I mean, I, I I don't know about the whole entire day of both cities, but as far as how that lineup in London went that day, they were the only band that was like doing stadiums. And Freddie was literally like, no, I got this. Yeah. And, and I'm a huge queen fan. So I'm not saying that as it's, he knew how to get those people moving. And when, when you watch like radio Gaga and see all these people clapping above their heads, he had that doing, he had them doing that immediately. Everybody. He had them doing that in Philadelphia. They were saying that like Queen was broadcast in Philadelphia, like on the screens to, I think, I believe JFK. Mm-hmm. Like, and so the crowds in JFK were clapping along with it. I mean, that's, that's fucking incredible. And like my arm hair stands up when I still watch that Queen set. Like it's they just came out and rocked it like everybody did their own set. But Queen practiced for two weeks straight that their seven songs. For two weeks straight, they just did those seven songs over and over and over again. And I feel like it absolutely shows. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. They just, they just knew how to work. You know, I, I thought that they over like I thought um, I was just reading about like literally just moments before we started. I was reading about Bowie's set and I thought Bowie's said, David, David Bowie said. Yeah. OK. Yeah. <laughs> I was just I was just checking. Just David. want to verify. Um. I, he he comes out. I mean, he was playing stadiums. You know, let's just two years earlier, Let's Dance was the biggest album on the planet, and um, he came out and and he knew how to command the stage. And his set was amazing. And I think if he hadn't come out right before, you know, like he followed Queen. I, I think he followed Queen or Queen followed him. They, they no, were, he, they were back. He to was back. after Queen because yeah. it was Queen. Uh, it was you two Queen. Nimbo. Uh, sorry, Jesus yeah. Christ. Queen. No, you two Dire Straits Queen. Sorry. I had to bring yes. brain fart there. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's it's yeah, it was you no, it was you I'm looking at it now. It was you two Dire Straits Queen Bowie. Queen. Who so, came after Bowie? The Who. Okay. And then that's a shagger. 
that's an interesting because <laughs> no, no that's after not on bowie yeah after um that uh so bowie agreed to cut one song out of his set because they had this video that was set to the car's song drive that was just basically like footage of you know these these dying children in africa and geldof actually didn't really want to show it but then decided that you know okay we have time we, we can show it and like they said that like just the tonal shift of the entire program like just totally changed because like bowie did his thing was great cut his song uh, thing short and then they showed this video and like literally everybody in the stadium is crying and like i can't imagine being the who to have to come out to follow that is i mean i guess they won't get them up fooled again, again. Yeah. i i did i i'm <laughs> I'm sure you got. Did you guys do that thing for Mark Riccadonna when he had like the the world's longest comedy show? Yeah, yeah. And right, but it was all it was all on Zoom. It was like a few months ago. And yeah. right before it was to raise money for uh, kids with brain cancer. And right before they brought me up, they played like a kids with brain cancer video. Yeah. And then uh, and then I got and, introduced and then Ken Krantz. Yeah. I had something similar. I was Kids just supposed with to be brain cancer video. Just yeah. the, word, just the yeah. wording of that. <laughs> and now here's Ken Krantz. <laughs> yeah. Uh, imagine Ken Krantz getting uh, getting big and that's who he starts to bring around featuring for him. Um, so. <laughs> So uh, I had a similar thing. I had uh, it was just supposed to be somebody like it was somebody I knew. And I was like, OK, like not only do I know this guy, I can trust the guy. I forget who it was, but it's like I can follow this guy, you know, on this weird show that I don't know exactly what's happening. But do that. I turned it on. Voss was on like Voss just jumped yeah. on. It was on before me and it was murdering. I was like, now I got to follow Voss. I was like, oh, all right, I can do this, I guess. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. It's not that and, difficult. And then they brought Just on. say your S's correctly. <laughs> <laughs> and then they brought on this little girl who had brain cancer to tell jokes after Voss. So it was Voss, this little girl with cancer to tell jokes, and then Chip Chantry. Was this was... show in Delaware? No, this was on this Zoom. This was the thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did a show before, but years before COVID in Delaware was something very similar. Mm-hmm. So, oh, so what I want, so I wanted, what I wanted to say about Bowie's set, what I thought was so amazing is um, he, that band had never played together. Like he just assembled, yeah. he just assembled oh. a band. I think it was yes, Thomas he, Dolby was part of that. Thomas he Dolby thanks them together. at the end. And uh, 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 Bowie acknowledged that. He thanks them at the end and said, these guys came together last minute to make this happen. He yeah. totally acknowledged that. Yeah, yeah. They had like three rehearsals. But that's also like Bowie used to like he'd go into the studio and make people switch instruments. So he would like throw the drummer on guitar and the guitar player on keyboards. He just wanted to experiment and see what could be done. And I, I'm sure he could have called, you know, his normal touring band but he just uh he he i, I don't I, I think he just asked thomas dolby to like assemble a band for him yeah like totally threw it together last minute thank you good evening it's so nice to be back So you're a boy or a girl, but hey, baby, your hands are 
and you can tell that if you watch the footage, they are like they're you know they weren't exactly like super famous musicians. They they were just this band that came together a few weeks earlier, and they they just looked like they were having so much fun, like they couldn't believe what they were you know what they got to be a part of. Yeah. So many people perform that day too. Like you don't even realize, you don't even hear about the fact that like um, Tom Petty, the Heartbreakers, or Madonna was there. Like they all get brushed under the radar. So the Hooters, yeah, I believe, I believe did the Hooters open Philadelphia? They didn't. Oh, I think I think actually of all people, Joan Baez, I think opened Philadelphia. Oh, she did that terrible, amazing grace, amazing cover. grace. Oh, yeah. Yes, oh, yes, yes, and, yes. Uh, and by the way, Jack Nicholson was basically the MC for for Philadelphia. Jack Nicholson introduced a lot of bands. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, so the Hooters were they were trying to be, I think, Bill Graham and then uh, some local guy from Electric Factory of all from Electric Factory concerts was like, we got to put this band like, you know, Nervous Night just came out. Let's put this band on. And Geldof was like, who the fuck are the Hooters? Like, I don't want, you know, he's like, you know, he said in an interview in Rolling Stone, which I thought was so fucked up. He actually said, who are the fucking Hooters? Yeah. Which I mean, is fair. But like if you're putting on a global scale, yeah, but we're all from the Philly (laughs) suburbs. So we know who they are. They were my favorite band at the time. They I was seven years old and they were the Hooters were my first like favorite band that I liked like without my parents, like not the Beach Boys kind of situation like that was and they were they were huge in Philly. So, yeah. So but I always like I thought that was just so fucked up to be like. Like before the show's even taken place and yeah. you're shitting on the people who have agreed to come do it for you. Yeah. Again, isn't that most of the shit we've done? <laughs> yeah. 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 But we're assholes. We're not like we're not under the, the guise of trying to be helpful or. Right. Right. Raise money for people. Uh, so let's let's talk about you two set for a second. You know, everybody had basically like 20 minutes, like 15 or 20 minutes, depending. I think and. I should say, I think, and I'm assuming this was by design, but the uh, the longest set of the evening was Elton John had like 32 minutes or something like that. So that was like the longest set. But most people had roughly 20 minutes. Everybody had, you know, time to play, like, let's say three or three or four songs. You two was supposed to play three songs ending with Pride in the Name of Love, which is like their big song. That's like their big closer. And, you know, they're they're still not you two yet like they're just no they're not they're not not the biggest band in the world and uh they ended up doing so they did they opened with sunday bloody sunday and then they did bad for like 12 minutes it was a 12 minute Mm. rendition of bad while like bono just like hopped off a stage because there's this huge gap between the stage and it's like a i feel like it's a 15 foot drop almost like it's a huge drop from the stage down to like this area and then where the audience was he like jumps down because he wanted to like connect with the audience and pulls this girl out who later said that she was being crushed to death by the crowd he like pulls her out of the crowd like kind of dances with her gives her a hug but while he's doing that the rest of the band is just vamping on on uh bad and they're just playing and they don't know where he is they they don't know if he got hurt they don't know if he fell they can't see him down in this like divide this like orchestra pit it's like ravine yeah and so they're just playing and then finally he just like so they're like do we stop do we 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 know what we're doing and finally he like climbed back on stage and that was the end of their set because 
they did a 12 minute version of it. So they couldn't do their big hit that like 1.9 billion people could see. And the rest of the band was kind of pissed at him because they were just like, you just screwed us. I mean, you, you, you know, you could we could have played our big hit and become big stars. Now you wasted that precious 20 minutes and you're done. Which Mingling. Up, exactly. Which turned <laughs> out to be a career making set that they had i mean it was still it was still that's been a big thing within their band i don't remember what tour it was like i saw you two on like um elevation and vertigo tours maybe after the vertigo tour there was a lot of contention within the band because bono would talk about world um related things for like 15 20 minutes and they're like not playing songs yes that became a big big thing within the band because bono would talk for so long they had to all they had to cut their set list and they're not doing you it's you too they're doing stadiums and arenas like the the lights the sound the stage this is built for every second of their show i I saw them at the garden like not long after 9-11 and then they were like he bono stops the show to say something about 9-11 but then it was like now we're gonna like read the names of the victim and it was like literally like the Super Bowl performance. Yeah, it's just like 15 minutes of fucking, like, why are you, like, the, the, the fucking ticket prices are depressing enough. Yeah. And now you're just going to talk about, like. Yeah, kids know. with I don't, brain I, I, I don't have an example. I was more <laughs> kind of getting heated about the fact that he does that because I've seen him do it numerous times as well. Yeah, That's why everybody's like, oh, my God, Springsteen played for four hours. I was like, well, if he shut the fuck up, it would have been two and a half. <laughs> is he a talk i've never seen springsteen live is he a talker like that yes oh my god yeah oh, he's, he's is it brutal. political stuff or is he like just telling stories it is um uh, i think depending on the times you know i, yeah. I it, a lot of it gets political and and that's the thing too where it's like it's one thing if it's a small venue and it's especially like a solo artist like uh mike doty who's one of my favorite uh uh, performers ever use the lead singer soul coughing and he's soul a great coughing, yeah. solo career and i saw him i've seen i mean i've seen him like 10 times but i saw him once at the tla in philly just you know just a small concert venue and it's just him and an acoustic guitar and he would do a song and then like it was almost like stand-up like right. it, was, it was almost like he was doing stand-up and like but it was like nobody else is standing there holding a bass guitar waiting for him like he had and it was <laughs> and it's also an intimate venue where he's like all right let me talk to talk to you 500 people right now not a stadium full of drunks right. who want to hear Sunday Bloody Sunday. Yeah, uh, th- yeah, there's such a difference between the intimate fan base and like, <laughs> you know, people that paid three hundred dollars per ticket that just want to hear Mysterious Ways and go home and right rub exactly. one out. So, so during you know, a lot of people had were still skeptical even the day of like. Are they actually going to raise money? Is this just a vanity thing that they're just trying to get Bob Geldof and all these rich people trying to get more attention for themselves? Are they actually doing it? Uh, Geldof was worried that they weren't going to raise money. They had like 300 people in a phone bank that were taking donations from from all over the world. And uh, Geldof uh, finally found out like halfway through. He he didn't want to know because he was nervous. He didn't want to know. And they're like, no, we're doing really well. We're like raising a lot of money. He's like, how much? And they're like, it was like a million a million pounds. Like they had raised a million pounds. And he's like, a million pounds from, from the entire world? Like that's pathetic. So he like storms up, goes to I think the BBC suite, like where they're broadcasting from, where they're like the the comedians and the you know, the people are like hosting this event and 
basically goes on screams and curses and was like he's quoted as saying like it's famous he's like give me your fucking money on tv yes he actually, yep, he actually yep. says he actually says give me the money he says he's like people i think he said people are fucking dying give us the money give me the money uh you know what are you doing and basically like, screamed at people to like get them to and really between that and then that video that they showed like all of a sudden it was like i think it was like twenty thousand pounds a minute came like yeah, rushing they, in they for the next right, couple of hours right and it was after just like always set right after that video aired it, it went from like a trickle to a waterfall yeah and then bob Geldof also burst into bbc's office i thought this was incredible and started smacking food out of anybody's hand that was eating <laughs> <laughs> like what did he eat that day did yeah. he starve that day <laughs> oh yeah <my> <laughs> Yeah, um, but then it became known that not nearly the donations made it to Ethiopia. Correct? Wasn't that a political thing? It became. Yeah. It became. Um, they said something like only eighty percent of the money. The problem was Ethiopia's uh, president was like one of these, I think, brutal dictator dudes. Yeah. So they were trying to get the money directly to the people, but the government ended up with a chunk of yes, it and it actually like, yeah, they like bought guns and shit with it. They they ended up like But still when you think about all right, so 80% of the money made it to the people. Like that's still a, a fucking lot, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So and like there there's that debate. It's like, well, if you don't give any money because you think some of it's going to get squandered then they're not going to get the money at all or are some of these going to go to some of these militias some of these like regimes but a lot most of the money will go to where it is so I, there's there's still that debate going on going on today so um and then there was like there was a there was a couple controversies like so bob dylan closed out the philly show yeah and says you know, hey, it's great that we're raising all this money for Africa, but maybe we can give just a couple million to farmers here who are losing their farms. And then there was like Bob Geldof got pissed that he brought attention to another cause and was like, you know, there's there's a uh, is that where Farm Aid came from? That's that's where yeah. Farm yeah. So that yep. was that was the birth that was of him Farm and Mellencamp and Willie and Nelson, Willie I believe, Nelson. right? Yep. Yeah. And I think that was only a couple of months later. I think that was in September that they did Farm Aid. Or it oh, was either that or the know. next year. I think like it was pretty... the I think it was the following year, but I'm the following not year, sure. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, but then Bob Geldof criticized Bob Dylan. There was also a really interesting storyline where um uh he was trying to get the Stones to play. And Mick and Keith, like in eighty five, were things were real bad between them. Like they were barely on speaking terms. And so the Stones were working on an album, Dirty Work, which is the only album in their history that they didn't tour. Like Mick announced going into it that he wasn't going to tour the album because he had just put out a really shitty solo album and he was touring solo. So Mick Jagger agrees to do Philly and um, puts together a terrible band. And they're playing Stone songs. They, I think, they ended with uh, "It's Only Rock and Roll." Tina Turner came out Tina and Turner, did it with yeah. them. The band is—it's so, like embarrassingly bad. There's like synthesizers in it. You know, just it doesn't. It just sounds terrible.
then after Mick Jagger, Bob Dylan comes out and his guests are Keith Richards and Ron Wood. So you have this, you have the Rolling Stones and they're, they're on back to back. So you know that they were like backstage at the same time. Fuck you. Yeah. But you could have like, it's crazy. And then you think like Mick Jagger's got this horrible band and Bob Dylan's amazing. But, you know, you've got two of the best rock and roll guitar players on the planet playing, you know, like, uh, uh, what's that fucking song? Blowing in the Wind. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it was... um, I always thought that was interesting, and I never understood, and I think I just found out why. Like, so Bowie follows Queen, so why don't they do Under Pressure together? Mm-hmm. You would think like there's not too many opportunities where Bowie and Queen are in the same building. Yeah, together. I guess that was out at the time because like it was '85. I guess Under yeah, Pressure was Under I think, Pressure 82. was like '82 or '83 or something like that. But then I was just reading. Um, I got to find this guy's name because I talk about this column almost every week. But there's there's a column on uh, Stereo Gum where they where they dissect every number one single ever in in Billboard's history. Like they start from the beginning and work its way to present day. Oh, that sounds pretty cool. Can you send me that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it's so under. Yeah, I will. It's it's it comes out like every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. It's the first thing I look at when I wake up and um he sometimes will do songs that didn't reach number one, like for charity. Like if, like if you pay, if you donate money, he'll, he'll, he'll do the story on. And somebody had him do under pressure. And I, I thought this was so interesting. So Bowie and Freddie Mercury agreed that they were going to create this song and it was going to be an experiment. And they had the tune and Freddie was going to record his lyrics, his vocals that he wrote. And Bowie was going to record his vocals that he wrote. And the two of them had no idea what they were writing. So really? Yeah. So it wasn't like they sat down and wrote out a song. It's they sat down and figured out the music. And then Bowie was going to go write his half. And Freddie was going to write his half. And they were going to record it and release it. And it was just going to be like this grand experiment. And then what ended up happening was Bowie snuck into the studio to listen to Freddie Mercury and find out what he was writing and singing about. And then Bowie went and kind of matched the, you know, matched his lyrics. Wow. Right. And then when Freddie Mercury found out, apparently he was pissed. Like he didn't take it in, you know, he he didn't take it in, in stride. So I I wonder, I mean, I have absolutely no idea, but I wonder if there was almost like some kind of animosity where, like, why wouldn't, like, a billion people are watching. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't Freddie Mercury have come back out for that? Yeah, you'd think because during the Freddie Mercury tribute concert, it was David Bowie and Liza Minnelli doing uh, (laughs) Under Pressure together. So why wouldn't you not make the real thing happen when Freddie was there? (laughs) I you're are you Annie Lennox or no Annie Lennox Annie Lennox I couldn't tell Sorry. if you were trying. oh my like, god I was like what? I was gonna say well, Liza Minnelli that's a that's amazing Liza Minnelli did like, um I want to break free at the Freddie Mercury <laughs> that's, tribute that's, oh, okay. yeah yeah you're right that was that was just a brain fart there oh god um <laughs> so I guess we should uh we should start to wrap this up unless we do you know should we do a 16 hour podcast just to like well, just yeah. Like in in like we should dissect each to, band's set. Yeah, starting in twenty now. minute increments. <laughs> like I should have start. I should have started at like noon 
and you guys should have jumped on at like 6 p.m we would have like been simultaneous for a while and then you guys take it for like the last six hours yeah that's what All we right. should have done there was yeah. a there was a couple other interesting storylines like i thought especially for philly um would patty labelle had teddy pendergrass come out and yeah yeah she Teddy's- did a john uh legend imagine and cover uh, imagine cover too john lennon yeah <laughs> what did i say john, john legend, legend. Oh, did I say uh, that was my words? Okay, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah she did a John Ledman Imagine cover. Um, and it's not good. Have you heard that one? I haven't heard it, so it's weird because it's it seems like a, some of the footage just isn't out there. Or... Yeah. Okay, that's one thing I actually have written down here. Um, on Spotify, where I listen to my music, has a Live Aid playlist, and a lot of the audio quality just isn't good. Um. And I guess that's just a sign of the times. They had nothing to do with it. Right. And like, because like it was just, it wasn't what it is now. The Beach Boys recording is terrible. And they even like ask the crowd, like they point the mics out or whatever and go, you know, surfing USA, but you can't hear the crowd. A lot of the audio is really bad. They, um, yeah, at MTV destroyed a lot of the masters. Like like Bob Gout, like part of the agreement was that it was only going to be aired once and then nobody else would ever see it. And then MTV destroyed some of it, but secretly kept some of it. So it's weird that some performances like persevered throughout the years and then others just got completely. That should have been preserved. Like yeah. I, even if the performances were bad, like that of that regardless of what you're perceived images of certain sets are like what went down was history. I'm surprised that no one took it that seriously. And I think that was actually kind of the point, though. I think that was kind of the point that because Geldof was like, um, he was like, I don't want this out there. I want this to be like the biggest thing in history. And it's like, you should be watching it right now or you missed it. Like that was like his vibe, which is which is kind of weird. You would think that's very, yeah, short sighted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So who owned the footage, though? Was that a Bob Geldof thing or was that sold to like MTV or ABC? That I don't know the answer. I was going to say, because if, you know, stuff got. Somebody has to own it somewhere. Oh, yeah, sorry, I I, but I wanted to say so. Um, Patty LaBelle brings out Teddy Pendergrass, right? Who's who's yep. from Philly. And yep. it was his first performance since being paralyzed. Yeah. After his, like yeah, he, after he, his accident. Yeah. They Light zipped, rack, right? <laughs> they zipped him out there in a wheelchair and he wasn't sure. <laughs> He wasn't sure how people were going to take it. And then it was like the crowd in Philly went fucking nuts for him. Yeah. Wasn't a um, wasn't he injured during a concert as well? Teddy Pendergrass? Yeah. I don't I thought it was a car accident. Wasn't it a car accident? Somebody who was it was a light rack fell on him. Was it Teddy? I know I'm not. Oh, maybe. maybe, Oh, no, maybe I'm maybe I could be wrong. I'm that's. I'm Googling it right now. A light it, was, rack. It, was a car, it was a car crash. Teddy? Yeah. Man, I'm thinking of. Yeah, I know. I uh, Who are you thinking of? I know, I know that did happen. Curtis? Was that Curtis Mayfield? Was oh, it? Curtis Mayfield. Yeah, yeah. I know he was paralyzed too. Yeah, but yeah, I'm trying to think of a, a concert-related injury. Sorry, I'm scanning through this right now. Life-changing yeah, was, accident. Was, yep, 1990. Yep. Stage lighting equipment fell on him at an outdoor concert oh, in yeah. Brooklyn. I didn't know that's what T- T- Teddy Pendergrass, uh, for all you Philly people listening, uh, he uh, it was on Lincoln Drive. 
which is like oh was it really of, yeah one of the worst streets in oh philadelphia. the worst dangerous streets in philadelphia it like goes along the river and it just like it's it, four lanes but it should be two and and it's like 25 miles an hour and everybody goes at least 50 it's, yeah and it has that always, big big bend by the yep. and then it goes into some yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's a rough yeah I, I just but I love the idea of like him getting off stage and, you know, getting into a van and like driving 15 minutes home. Yeah, like, yeah, for for, for the Philly yeah. people, it was kind yeah. of a yeah, it was it was easy, I guess. Probably good for a lot of UK acts, too. I mean, Queen and the Who and yeah. Oh, well, and the, one, all... the one thing they were worried about traffic and they were saying that like a lot of them would would be like helicoptered in, you know, so like they pick, for example, they picked up Elton John at his, I guess, estate or whatever. And Elton John got pissed because it basically like ruined all of his like flowers in his garden the you know, like the helicopter blades, like the wind from it or whatever. And they were also worried that. They said that apparently the blades had to be stationary because Elton John's wig would have like flown <laughs> off. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. So, so they did, but the, and then what they would do is there's no place at Wembley Stadium for a helicopter to land. So, the closest that they could land was this, uh, this like field, like a, a cricket match, like a pitch for a cricket match, like the stadium or a whatever, some field for this big cricket match was like fairly close so that's where they would land but there was a really important cricket match that day happening and they're like well we don't care it's live aid so like apparently like during the cricket match like a helicopter would just start landing <laughs> and stop the match land all of these rock stars would get off the helicopter would take off and then the the match would resume play that's fucking fantastic yeah. That's incredible. That's really it's funny inter- about Elton John's. Elton John's the only dude that's gotten more hair the older he gets. Yeah. <laughs> like his 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 hair's like um he's got like the Benjamin Button of head. Yeah. Of, of hair. Of, of hairline. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Um anything else? Anything else we want to um I, so you know, so at the end of when England started, when it stopped at the end of that, uh, they all came out, which is funny. In the middle of the summer, they sang, "Do they know it's Christmas?" They did. Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so everybody came out, and sang that, and then at the end of the Philadelphia one, they sang, "We are the world," and that was that was the big closer of that. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they. I don't. I saw a couple of different. I think like right around the time they raised like 50 million pounds. But then I think I saw like worldwide overall, I think it was like, was like 150 million. Is that what they raised? I, I didn't get the final. I just, I don't know what that is in actual money though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, it's monopoly figures. Yeah. So they, uh, they, uh, yeah. And they did it and it was a one-time, one-time concert. They raised money, but they said that it really changed the world. Just the consciousness of just like the fact that everybody in the world was doing the same thing at the same time kind of raise consciousness of like oh we could do something it's like you see these famines you see these horrible things and everybody kind of shrugs like what can i do and live aid was that moment where like regular people all around the world were like yeah we can make a difference you you, you can do this and you know surprisingly besides i mean they had farm aid which was obviously its own thing but they never did it again they never had live aid again they 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 did live eight in yes. 2005 that was, was on my doorstep when I lived at Parktown before I lived with you at Parktown. Yeah, that was yeah. Pat lived there two different times, and um, and that, that just didn't seem to. Gar- Did they do two stages for that, or how many stages were there? Eight. For- 
Live yeah, Aid. They, they oh, were oh, in Live Aid. That's, right. That's what it yeah. was all, yeah. all around the world. Um, and then Led Zeppelin so yeah, reunited again, but to much better. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully they practice this time. <laughs> and I, I believe Paul McCartney and Bono started that one off in London with the Royals Guardsmen, and they did, uh, I forget what song. Oh, they did um, Sgt. Pepper's. Okay. I think that's All what right. started the whole that's thing. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that was, uh, that's Live Aid. That was Live Aid. Can I tell you my favorite Freddie Mercury joke? Oh, God, yes. Um, I have no idea who wrote this. It's a tweet that I saw maybe 10 years ago, and I think about it probably once a week. Uh, so I've, I'm not stealing this joke. I just don't know who to credit it to. But the tweet said, um, if you're ever going to a party and you can't remember if the theme is 80s or AIDSy, you can go as Freddie Mercury. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, my God. On that note. Which, and, by the way, I, I, and I will say this, too, I, just on a personal note, being a little kid, like, again, I was like seven like AIDS became a thing right around that time. Like, you know, it's mid eighties, early mid eighties. Like it becomes, you know, big in the world consciousness. I'm seven years old. I don't know what it is, but like, you know, you hear it's this, you know, this terrible disease or whatever. And then live aid happened, like yeah. basically right around the same time that like, I remember being a kid thinking that it was uh, like, it was a benefit oh, concert. It was for tied AIDS. together. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was like the same. Yeah, it, it got was, it was so bad. Do you remember when freaking, even Sesame Street had to introduce a Muppet character with fucking AIDS. Like it was that yep. bad. That, I don't remember that. This wasn't in America though. This was in oh. a, this was in another country still. Ethiopia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you might be right, actually. But And that just goes to show, by the way, like and, and I, I I'm not it, it, I remember being a kid and this is just the way I'm sure not everybody. I'm just a terrible person. I grew up in a terrible area, whatever. But like how many jokes about like like I'm six, seven years old hearing all these jokes about like about Ethiopia, yeah. you know, and it's like and that's just the way that like it, becoming a comedian, like it was just a defense mechanism. Like everybody that I knew was like the only way they could handle anything that heavy is just by making fun of it. Like the challenger explodes and it's nobody sits us down and talks about like, well, this is what happened. It's like 15,000 uh, Chris McAuliffe jokes. You know what I mean? It's just your defense mechanism. That's the only thing you can do to like, and it's like, no wonder we're comedians because that's the only way I know to ha how to handle the world is to make fun of it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Hashtag Delco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anything, uh, anything you have to plug Pat? Um, I'm at helium. When is this going to come out? This will be out. Uh, what's today? But we'll probably have this up on like by Monday. All right. Well, in that case, I'll be at helium with Todd glass on Friday. What's a the, week what, tomorrow. That's 21st. The, that's a great show. 21st. Yeah, that's it. Other than that, just kind of laying low for a couple months and uh, that's it. But it was a lot of fun being here. This was, yeah, thanks for thanks for coming, man. Dude, awesome, man. I could talk, you know, this kind of shit all day. Yeah, thank you for and doing mush it. mouth people's names. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll have Pat back sometime soon, and we'll um yeah. we'll, we'll just throw names out at him and see if he can. And I'll try to see if I can say them back to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thank Chip, you guys. It was awesome. Yeah, thank you. You were great, Chip. Anything you have to uh, 
uh, I'm going to be at the Punchline in Philly on June 2nd, and uh, that's pretty much it right now. Uh, Isn't it, you that know, your birthday? No, it's not. And um, I don't celebrate one. And uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's that's that. Just follow me at Chip Chantry on Instagram and Twitter. And um, uh, make sure you follow I lo- uh, uh, Philo follow rock at rock and roll pod on I feel better Instagram now. and Twitter. I know, right? I just, <laughs> I can't say it. See, I just fell on my sword for you, Pat. So follow at rock and roll pod on Instagram and yeah, and if you, if you have any, uh, if you have any subjects you want us to cover, uh, tweet them at us. Yeah, hit us up. All right. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Kahuna. No problem. Yeah, thank you, Kahuna. Thank As you. Always. It's always a pleasure, hey. gentlemen. All right. Yeah. All right. We will uh, we'll see you guys next time. See you next time. All right.